Turning your Bibles to Genesis 17. Genesis chapter 17. We're still pretty, pretty early in this. Before you know it, we'll be a lot further along because it goes really, really fast. And uh, we're going to see some, some great, great truths. Now, uh, in that Genesis, just turn to 17, and then I'm going to tell you to turn back in a minute. But you can just go ahead and get in 17. We're seeing the four men, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. There's so much we're seeing. Uh, I think there's a lot we can apply. The emphasis in the first five lessons, if you remember from the very beginning of the study, the first five lessons deal primarily with Abraham, and then we're going to see more about him. His father, mean, his name, Abraham, means father of many nations, uh, that kind of thing. In the last lesson, we saw his interaction with Lot. We saw this mysterious man named Melchizedek. And then we saw God cutting the covenant and the promise of the land. So that's what we saw last time. I'm hoping that as we go through this and you see these lives, that uh, you'll even want to go back and maybe even read more of the book of Genesis or study it a little bit more because it's an incredible book. Because the first 11 chapters, I mean, they deal with no telling how long a time because they go from creation to the choosing of Abraham. And then, of course, the last chapters, chapters 12 through 15, deal with about three or 400 years. And so there's so much there. Now, God, we're going to see tonight that God is promised already Abraham a son and when he first made the promise to him he was 75 years old and we're going to see what happens now if you're 75 years old even then uh, we all think they lived so long and some of them did but most people didn't and most people didn't live that long after the flood now before the flood people lived a long time because of the canopy and everything after the flood you see marked differences as people begin to live less years so to be 75 years old was to be an older person even in that day and time and we're going to see that God says you're going to have a son and the promise is so amazing that both Abraham and Sarah laugh about it and we'll see it as we go through it tonight so we'll be encouraged as we study it so you know, names are important Think about names. That, and that what sets us apart. When you think about a name, uh, it means something. A lot of times nowadays people will name their children and there's books that say, okay, here's what these names mean. And, and so people want to do that. We know that they're nicknames. You know, like somebody who has red hair, they call, hey, red. Or uh, I have a, I have a, a, a brother-in-law whose dad's name he called his, I don't even know his real name. I think his real name was Owen, but he always went by Red because he had red hair. And he would introduce himself, I'm Red Reddick. I'm Red, Red. that was his name. That was his nickname. And then, but when we think about names, you know, we go, well, names today don't always mean the same. Sometimes people say, uh, I named my child this, but I don't really know what that name means, unless you get one of those books. Well, think about it. Uh, names like Peter, I mean, Jesus is the one, so his name was Simon. Right? And Jesus named him Peter, which means rock. And Paul's name literally was Saul, which means ask, but the name Paul means little. And Barnabas, actually Barnabas means encourager. Eli means my God. You remember Jesus on the cross and he goes, Eli, Eli, Lala, Samachapa, which means my God, my God, why have you? And so Eli, Eli is my God, my God. So if you call your son or Eli, you're saying he's my God. Joshua is the same name, Yeshua, same name as Jesus. One's the Old Testament names and one's a New Testament name, that's Savior. Moses meant to draw something out, pull something out. And Adam, Adamah, Hebrew for dirt, for ground. So names, they have meanings. Well, we, we've looked at Abram, which means big daddy or high father. Uh, you know, Abram. Abe means father, Ram means big, tall. High. And so Abram means a high father. And what we're going to see, and Sarai, uh, you know, I did all kinds of studies, and we, I had heard, every, I had heard ever since I started growing as a Christian that Sarai meant nagger and Sarah meant princess. 
and I studied everything I could find. I went back to every Hebrew word for Sarai, and every one of them say that Sarai means princess, not nagger. Now, there is a little possibility that maybe it was spelled a different way, and uh, that the, another word for Sarah is a different, way, different spelling, and it meant um, kind of a blocker, like a person who's kind of, kind of set in their ways. But it's, you know, it still doesn't mean nagger necessarily. And her name's going to be Sarah, which really means like a high princess, like a big princess. And we're going to see it. And so tonight we're going to see Abram becomes Abraham and Sarai becomes Sarah. And what does it mean? Why do we see this? What's going on? And so as we get tonight, here's the things we're going to look at. We're going to look at, and you can fill that in in your stuff, the changing of the names from Abram and Sarai are going to be changed. And Why? And, I mean, you know, it's kind of funny because when somebody changes your name, it's unique. Uh, I, I mean, I, I went by James. All my family called me James. I never liked James. I, I mean, I don't know. Not that I don't like it. I just, that, it, I don't know. And when I was in high school, my high school coach began to say, JB. That's how he called it, JB. And so, and then everybody started calling me JB. I, for some reason, I like JB a lot. And so I've always loved it. So when people call me JB, I like it. When people call me James, I, I, it doesn't seem, I don't, so, so, you know, we're going to see that there's a reason he changes their names. And we're going to see what that means. And by the way, God changed your name. We'll talk about it in just a little bit. And then we're going to see the promise of the son, which is so neat. And then we're going to see the failure. I'm a, you know what we could say? I, I don't know who wrote that song. I think it was one of those wild lady singers, but whoops, I did it again, or whatever that song was. We're going to see, what did Abraham do? Whoops, I did it again. We're going to see it. And then finally, the birth of Isaac. So I think there's a lot, and, and we'll have to go fast and fill in. And if you're missing something, just stop me. If you got questions, I think we need to have it more fun. I'm, I'm going to get interaction and, and a lot of good stuff. Now, so let's start. And I said turn to Genesis 17, because if you see 17, before we get into it, we're going to see failure. And we go, what? What do you mean? So I want you to go back to chapter 16. Just flip back. If your Bible's like mine, you just got to go one page back, and you're going to get to Genesis chapter 16. And I want you to look at verse 1. It says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And then she had an addition maid whose name was Hagar. Now she bore him no children. Well, how old is he? He's 75, at least 75. She's at least what? 65, because she's 10 years younger. And at this point, they have no kids. Now, what has God already promised him? What is it? Land, seed, blessing. You're going to have this particular land. You're going to have offspring, which ultimately becomes the Messiah. And there's going to be a blessing because you're going to be able to bless the entire world through you, Abraham, because all the world's going to be blessed because the Messiah is coming through you. And so it, she says, you know, we haven't anybody. So Sarah said to Abram, now ask yourself, would you do this? So Sarah said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Now wait a minute. What is the promise? You're going to have the... Yeah, so she's going, He stopped me. Well, wait a minute. Have you forgotten? Okay. Uh, Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. Wait a minute. What in the world? She says, through the handmaid. She says, I've got a handmaid. I've got a servant. And what I want you to do is let her be your concubine. That's what she was going to be, a concubine, which means sort of a, a slave wife is what that is. And you just have sexual relations with her. You'll have a child. That'll be the child we're supposed to have. Does that sound right to you? No. Now, was it the custom of the time? 
Yeah, you could that yeah, that was the custom. But now what about Abraham? What should he have done? Well, I mean, think about it. If you if you think and what did he do? So Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. I mean, whenever you listen to your wife, sometimes you get yourself in trouble. I'm just kidding. No. Uh, you know, you go back and Adam listened to Eve, and now Abraham has listened to Sarah. And, uh, but the bottom line is that's a joke, because you better listen to your wife, because they're right most of the time. And anyway, I didn't say all of the time. But anyway, most of the time. So here's this custom. And he does what she says. And we would say, you idiot, what are you doing? What about the possibility of messing things up? Abraham was 86. If you turn over just to, uh, like my Bible and turn over to verses 15 and 16, it says, So Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abram uh, a son. Abram called the name of his son Hagar bore Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Now, first got the promise when how old was he? 75. So how many years have passed? 11 years have passed, and now he's got a son. But the son is not through who? Sarah. Something wrong. We got a problem. We got a problem. And so we want to say Abraham didn't wait and Sarah didn't wait. And by the way, there's a thing I want you to think about. Sarah and Abraham are trying to get God's blessing by human effort. They're trying to get what God promised them in a way contrary to what God promised them. And, And they know that. And so at the very bottom, it says, how old was Abraham when Abraham said he was 86? And so we see a problem. And, and so we start off tonight with a problem. And let me tell you, from now on, that problem's going to be there. There's going to be Abraham, or Abram, and Sarah, and Hagar, and a boy. And this is Abraham's son, but Sarah's not his mother. And the promise is Abraham and Sarah. So we got a problem. And so let's see what happens. And so now we're going to get the changing of the names. Okay, that's the top of the next page, changing of the names. And, and we're going to see what happens. Now, when we left chapter, whoops, when we left chapter um, 16, how old was Abraham? 86. How old? 86. Look at chapter 17, verse 1. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, how many years have passed? Thirteen years have passed. The Lord appeared to Abram and said. Now, so thirteen years have passed. And we're going to see, you remember our unconditional covenant? The promise was, I'm giving you a land, I'm giving you a seed, I'm giving you a blessing. That's, and he's going to come back. And God continually reminds Abraham. Now think about it. Does God continually remind us of his promises? How? Through the word. That's exactly right. We've got the written word that never changes, and we can go look at a promise that says, I give unto you, whoever believes in me will never perish, but have what? Everlasting life. That's a promise he continually reminds us every time we study Scripture. So this is unconditional. He's going to change their name. So look at verse 1 again. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. By the way, that's capital O, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the the personal name of God. He appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty. I'm going to come back in a minute. Walk before me and be blameless. And so how many years have passed since the birth of Ishmael? How many? Thirteen years have passed. I mean, so, so Ishmael is how old? He's a 13-year-old boy. Well, when you get between 12 and 13, all of a sudden, you're pretty much supposed to be a man. I mean, that's, I mean he's, he's thinking in his mind, Abraham's my father. All this land 
Everything is belonging to who? To me. But he knows who his mother is. And his mother's not Sarah. So here's what's going to happen. Let's see what we see. He says, I am God Almighty. What in the world? God says, I am God who provides. By the way, the name God Almighty is El Shaddai. That song that was famous, El Shaddai, El Shaddai. El Shaddai, actually, the word Shaddai is a plural of the word Shad. And the Hebrew word Shad can mean two things. I always get a little embarrassed by saying this because it can mean a mountain or it can mean a breast. And so when he says he's the El Shaddai, he's the providing one, whether he's the strong mountain or whether he's the breast that provides. And that's what he's saying. He said, I am, I'm the El Shaddai. I'm God Almighty. I provide everything. And so look what he says. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. You know, I'm the God who provides. Live a pure life. Do what you're supposed to do. Now, why does he tell him that? What did he do 13 years ago? Just what he wasn't supposed to do, right? And so God says, now look. And you could think, Abraham could say, uh, you know, he promised me 24 years ago that I would have a child. And so I'm assuming that the child is Ishmael. But we could say, you're assuming wrong. Because it's got to come through who? Sarah. Okay. So he says, verse, verse 2 says, I will establish my covenant between you and me, and I'll multiply you exceedingly. Now look at this covenant. Multiply you exceedingly. That's, that's the seed. And then look what he goes on to say. Oh, and Abraham fell on his face and, and all this. And he says, my covenant is for you. You'll be the father of many nations. There he is again. And he says, uh, your name, well, I'm going to change your name. You'll not be called Abram, but you'll be, oh, uh, multitude of nations. You'll be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, father of many nations. I'll make you fruitful. Kings will from, from you. I'll come from you. Your descendants will have this land. So he goes over and he says the exact same things he's already said earlier. Land, seed, blessing, you're going to have it all. And he calls him the father. If you look down again in verse 4, you will be a father of a multitude of nations. And then that, when right in the middle of that, he's going to do something. He's going to change his name. And look what he says in verse 5. No longer shall your name be called Abram, which means high father. Your name shall be called Abraham, which means father of what? Nations, father of many. For I have made you the father of a multitude of of nations, so he explains it. So he's no longer going to be Big Daddy. He's no longer the High Father, the Exalted Father, the Great Dad. I read something the other day that said, "Don't you think that Abram, when people would meet him, and he's ninety, basically close to ninety-nine years old, close to a hundred years old, and they say, what's your name?' and he goes, High Father, Big Dad,' and they would say, "What? Well, how many children do you have?' And the truth is, he has what? He has just one, and that's." Not even supposed to have that one. So, you know, now God said, you're not going to be big daddy. You're going to be father of multitudes. Now, what did he already say? Like the sand on the ground, like the stars in the sky. You, you know, what does God tell us? You know what we do? God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to provide for you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. What should you fear? And we go, I'm so afraid. And we say, what did God just tell you? What did God tell you? Well, I just don't know if we're going to be able to make it. What did he say? I'll provide every need that you have. Well, I hope I have eternal life. What did he promise you? I give you eternal life and you shall never perish. I mean, over and over, we do the same thing. 
there he's doubting things and God said no no you're exactly who I said so look at verse 6 so he said I will make you extremely fruitful I'll make nations of you kings will come forth from you not just people kings I will establish my covenant between you between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for everlasting covenant to to be God to be you and to your descendants after you and I will give to you and your descendants the land so remember that's it the land the seed, and the blessing. He's done it. And that's what he does. This is the promised land. That's verse 8. Now, he's going to do something different. He's changed his name. And then he's going to do something so that Abram will, or Abraham now will know and remember this covenant. Watch what he does. Look down at verse 10. This is my covenant you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. That's, that's, you know what that is. I don't have to explain it. They're going to have to do that. And you shall circumcise in the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Every male, every Jewish guy coming from Abraham, every child, has got, every man has got to be circumcised. In fact, he goes on and gives it specific. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in your house or is brought with money from your foreigner who is not even your descendants. A servant who is born in your house shall be circumcised. He says, anyone connected with you because that shows the covenant. And so all the males... And that's just the, the thing. And I remember uh, Alan Ross, seminary professor, said the sign of circumcision would be a reminder to Abraham or to Abram of God's promise and to live righteously as one under the covenant. You know, we do things like that. We, we wear crosses. You know, people wear crosses. Why, why do you wear a cross? Why do, why do you wear that? You say, well, when I look at that, I think of the cross, and I think of Jesus, I think of what he's done. Well, Abraham, circumcision, every male... It, they thought, okay, this, this is part of what God has promised to us. This is just a sign for us to remember. That's what it's really all about. Well, I don't know. When you're eight days old, you don't have any choice and you don't know anything anyway. And, uh, well, we're going to see a 13-year-old and a, a 99-year-old have it here in just a second. So, yeah, it... Uh, uh, it's not the most pleasant thing, I'm sure, that, that has ever happened to any man. But anyway, so then God, verse 15, now watch this. So that he's, he's doing this, and then we could say, well, well what, about, what about Sarah? What about Sarah? So we get to the top, I guess, of the next page and look at verse 15. Then God said to Abram, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but, you, but Sarah shall be her name. And most think that means princess or prince of God. And, and what would I, the best that I could find is that Sarah has the idea of princess, but Sarah has like mighty princess. By the way, the name Abram and Abraham is almost the same name. But Abram meant high father, and Abraham is like high father with something added to it. And so it's like multitude high father, so multitude of many nations. So her name Sarah meant princess, but Sarah is like mighty princess. <clears throat> so the bottom line is, listen, if you're going to be connected with Abraham, who is the father of, of the multitudes and many nations, then you're going to be Sarah, the royal one. And, and so the blessing, she's going to be the mother of many nations. By the way, uh, it, it's, really, it's really amazing. Look at verse 16. I will bless her indeed, and I'll give you a... Now, look carefully at verse 16. I will bless her, 
and indeed I will give you a son by her. What is that telling him? You already messed up, man. What do you think you did? Then I will bless her, and she'll be a mother of nations. He's the father of nations. She's the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. So this is incredible. And, I mean, how, how old is she now? She's 89. He's 99, right? And he's saying, you're going to have a son through her. He's probably in his brain saying, I don't see how that's going to happen. I mean, she's good looking, but she's old. I mean, that's what he's thinking. And she is beautiful. We're going to see in just a minute. That as an 89-year-old woman, see what happens. Or a 90-year-old woman, see what happens anyway. So here's what. So now how did Abraham respond? You know, Abraham has had God come to him in the earth of the Chaldees and leave, and he left, and he's gone to Bethel. He's gone to Egypt. He's come back to Bethel. He's done all the things. And so when God tells him his promise, verse 17, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, will a child be born to a man who's 100 years old, and will Sarah, who is 90, bear a child? And, and before he can even get through, he then says to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. You know what he's saying? I don't think this is really going to happen, so why don't you just make it go through this son I already have? You just kind of want to rough him up a little bit. What's, what's the matter with you? Think about what you just said, right? I mean, he, God has just made the greatest promise to him, and he's fallen on his face. He's laughed because it seems too good to be true. Let me ask you something. What has God promised you that seems too good to be true? Eternal life? Listen, what did you do to get eternal life? Nothing. And so, how bad are we? We're so bad, we're, we're worse than we think we are. We really are. As bad as you think you are, you're even worse than you think you are. And what did God do for us? He sent His Son and He died for us and paid for sin. And He said, you can have eternal life. All you have to do is take the gift that I'm giving you. And we go, that seems what? Too good to be true. It, you know, that's why so many people out there have changed the message. That's why the devil's greatest plan always works. Because human beings think that that's too easy. Human beings can't believe the grace of God. They cannot believe that God would send, allow you to have eternal life as a gift. So they add works to it all the time. Almost every group in the world has added works to it. And so that's why, because a lot of people, I've had people come up to me and say, what you teach is wrong because that's, it, it, it's, it's just too easy. It can't be that way. I go, well, that's what grace is. And so he laughs and falls on his face. It seems it's just too good to be true. But notice again, verse 19, God said, No, Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you'll call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. You know what he just said? He said, It's Abraham to Isaac. That's how it's coming. You know, he's already said, land, seed, blessing. The seed is Isaac. That's how it's coming. And his descendants. See, his descendants are Abraham's descendants. We are now seeing the connection. We already know. Why's it going to go? Abraham to Isaac to who? To Jacob. And then to who? To Judah. And it's going to go all the way down to David. Then it's going all the way down to Jesus. We see the connection through the Bible. We already know it, but we're seeing it right here. And Abraham says, God says to Abraham, it's, it's through Sarah, and you're going to have this son, and he's going to be the connection to fulfill this covenant of a land, a seed, and a blessing. We're going to see this in a couple of weeks when we get to Isaac's life. 
God comes to Isaac, and guess what he promises Isaac? Land, seed, blessing. And he's going to come later to Jacob, and guess what he's going to promise Jacob? Land, seed, blessing. That's just the way it is. God keeps every promise. So the offspring are going to be Sarah. The offspring from Sarah is going to be Isaac. And the name Isaac means what? It actually means he laughs, but, they, but laughter would be uh, the way to say it. So his name means laughter. And so this is the covenant. So Abraham, this is the offspring of Sarah and Abraham and the covenant. And look at down at verse 23. Look what happened. It said, uh, Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all the servants who were born in his house and who were bought with the money, every male among the men of Abraham's household, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in that very day as God had said to him. He did exactly what he was supposed to do, right? Ishmael and all the servants in the household. How old is Ishmael? He's 13. Look at this. Now Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Sarah. Yeah, Sarah. It's not gonna be yeah, it's not gonna be uh through through uh, Hagar and Ishmael, it's gonna come through Sarah and Isaac. The sign of the covenant. Yeah. Both Sarah and Isaac? Well yeah, because you gotta have the mother, you gotta have the right mother, yeah. Now he's highlighting to Abraham that you can't go with Hagar. You gotta go with Sarah. The son is gonna come through Sarah. And this name is going to be Isaac. He's already told us all that. See, Abraham went with Hagar, and they had Ishmael. That's wrong. He says, "You won't have, this is not the right one. Because remember, Abraham said, what about, oh, what about Ishmael? What about Ishmael? No, it's going to come through Sarah, and the son's going to be Isaac. He tells him exactly who it is, which is amazing when you think about it. Long before any of this happens. Okay, so, so what did they do? Now, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised. And that very day, Abraham was circumcised, and his son and all the household and all the men were born in the house. All the people bought with money were circumcised. Why did they do that? Sign of the what? The covenant. They said, we agree. We understand. You, we, we, we know you've made this promise to us. And, uh, and Abraham says, okay. Then Sarah... Sarah and me, not Sarah and Hagar, not Abraham and Hagar, but Abraham and Sarah. He said, "We're gonna have a child, and the child's name is Isaac." And he doesn't know when this is gonna happen. He was told it when he was seventy-five, and then he got to eighty-three, and now he's got to ninety-nine years old, and he still doesn't know anything. All he knows is sometime in the future. Oh, that sign because it's sexual, because see the seed. This, this is saying this is through this man and this seed. And I mean, the only way you're going to produce seed, the only way you're going to do that is the sexual aspect. And I think that's why he did that. Uh, you know, I mean, it's strange for us. We start looking at him and we go, good gracious. But that's what he does. Uh, I remember the first time I ever had to teach something like that. And I'm going, I don't, do I even say what that is? Of course, everybody knows what it is. But you'd think, well... There's some other places in the Bible that's some weird things in it. And you wish, you kind of want to skip those passages too, you know, but that's the way it is. So now, let's see the promise of the Son. This finally, finally we're going to get to the promise of the Son. And let me tell you, why do you think God made them wait till basically there were a hundred and hundred and ninety? Faith went to where? This is 
impossible. Exactly. He's going to show them that this is not hum this didn't come from human plans, human work. This is God's choosing. This is God bringing the sun into the world. This is God. It's, 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 it, what's impossible with people is what? Possible with God. So let's see what happens. The promise of the son and, and chapter 18. Now the Lord appeared to him. This, the, we don't know how long ago. This wasn't very long, I don't think, afterwards. Uh, now the Lord appeared to him by the Oaks of Memory. Remember the Oaks of Memory? That, remember where that is? That's up by Hebron, and that's the place where, where uh, eventually he's going to have to buy the land to bury Sarah when she dies. And so he doesn't own anything. He's just out there, and he's near the Oaks of Mamre. He was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. Now, by the way, out where they are, that part of the world, you can see a long way off, right? I mean, you know, it's not like trees are everywhere. It's not like Mississippi where you can have a house and there'd be giant trees in the yard. It's more like a place you can just see for a long way. Notice what happens. He's sitting in front of the tent. And he lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, three men were standing opposite him. And he saw them. And he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. Now, what happened? Notice the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us what's happening. Now, the Lord appeared to him. The Lord, that's Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. That's the personal name of God. God appears. Now, does Abraham know this is God? Huh? How does he know he's God? He sees three men, three men. Well, let me ask you this. If you're looking around and you're sitting out in front of your tent and then nobody for miles around, and then you go, <coughs> and you look up and there's three guys standing right there, you go, where'd they come from? I mean, they just, we didn't see camels coming from a long way off and they finally drove up and it just said, suddenly there's three men there. Notice it says he lifted up his eyes and looked and the whole three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. Listen, he, 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 uh, they just appeared. They just appeared. That, and we're going to see, uh, notice he goes on and he says, uh, he says, My Lord, if I found favor in your sight, don't, let, don't pass by your servant. Let me go get some water. Let me wash your feet. Let me get some bread. Let me do all this. And these three people, one of them says, yeah, okay, go ahead and do that. And what we realize that, that, that he's, you know, go get all this. Did he think they were God, possibly? Did he think that this was God appearing to him? Now, let me ask you a question. Has God spoken to him before? Yeah. I mean, we've got all kinds of times when God said, I'll make this covenant. So all of a sudden, there's three people there. And so why in the world do we think maybe he thought it was God? Well, first of all, they just appeared. Second, what does he do? What did it say he did? He went and worshipped. Okay, he, wait a minute. Abraham worships the who? God. And then the third thing is he went and herded. Listen, old men, 99 years old, who are the head of everything, they didn't run. In fact, let me just tell you that in the Jewish culture, older men do not run. That's why in the story of the prodigal son, and the father is waiting for the son, and he saw the son, what did the father do? Ran to meet him. That, that was totally against the culture. That was showing how much he loved his son. What did Abraham do when he saw these men? He ran. So just think about this. This is, this is unique. And I think, how did he know it was God? I think because uh, they just appeared and, and he ran and, and he, he does all this. And he says, let me go get you food and all of this stuff. And now, uh, so Abraham is preparing a meal. And so we get to the top of the next page and look at verse 9. Then they said to him, now this, these three of them. Now, by the way, who are they? Do we have any idea? There's God. How do you know they're God and two angels? I mean, you're right. How do you know it? 
Well, because it says it later on, as then look at the passage where they're going to go, he's going to send these two angels to where? Sodom and Gomorrah. These two angels are going to Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, as they get ready to leave, God says, Shall I hide to Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham's going to be a great guy. He's going to be great. I, I might as well tell him. So we don't know what at this point, but we got this idea that this must be God and probably a couple of angels. And so then he said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, in the tent. Now I want you to picture this. I mean, this is, this is, a, big, this is a big tent, and there are all kind of people. All I mean, he's got a big area. Remember, he had 315 men that were soldiers. He's got families everywhere. He's got everything. He's out in front of this tent, and inside the tent is Sarah. Now, by the way, most of the time, the women didn't eat with the men. So she wasn't invited to sit down and eat with them. But she's at the tent, and she's listening. She's like, here's the tent, and she peek out. There they are, and she's hearing everything. And God knows that. Of course, he, you know. And so he said, uh, where's Sarah, your wife? By the way, where is she? And notice what he says. He says, she's in the tent. She's in the tent. And, and so look what he says. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. How old will she be a year from now? She's going to be 90. How old is he going to be? A hundred. He said, I'll return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening to the tent door, which was behind him. She could hear it. Now, Abraham has already told her this, has he not? Do you think Abraham told her that she was supposed to be the one to have? I mean, they, they, and they've talked about it. And that's why she said earlier, I don't think it's going to work. Take Hagar. I mean, she, she knows what's supposed to happen. And now, now she's 90, uh, 89 years old, soon be 90. And, and she says, I, just, I don't think this is going to work. And so uh, we're going to see Sarah's in the tent. I will return next year and next year at the same time. And she will have a what? She'll have a son. Have you thought about this? In chapter, uh, next year, about this time, she'll have a son. If you think about it, in chapter 12, he said, you're going to have offspring. In chapter 13, he said, you're going to have offspring. Chapter 15, he says, look to the stars, you're going to have offspring. In chapter 17, he said, you're going to have a son. And now as we get into this chapter, 18 he actually says it will be when by this time next year you'll have it so the wait is over he's been waiting for 25 years and now God says it'll be by next year by next year and look what it says about Sarah verse 11 it says um, now Abraham and Sarah were old advanced in age and Sarah was past, past childbearing and she laughed to herself saying after I become old shall I have my pleasure my Lord being old and, and my Lord being old also she basically says we're two old people how are we going to have a baby and she laughs how to herself she didn't laugh out loud she didn't go <laughs> she went and to herself she laughed I want you to remember that she said, oh, it's not possible. I, I mean, only God could do something like this. You're exactly right. Look what he says, verse 12. Sarah laughed herself, I become old, and shall I have the pleasure of having a baby and my Lord also? And watch what happens. And the Lord said to Abram, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I indeed bear a child when I'm old? Now, did Abraham hear her laugh? No, she laughed what? To herself, but God knows. God knows. She laughed. Remember, it was to herself. It was not out loud. You can almost hear Sarah going, and then he says, how come she laughed? And she goes, how did he hear me? I didn't, I didn't laugh out loud. How could he know? How could he know? And then he says these famous words, is anything too difficult 
for the Lord. Is anything too difficult at the appointed time? I will return to you, and at this time next year, Sarah will have a son. You know what he said? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Let me ask you something. Is anything too difficult, God? Have you ever had somebody that said, you know, they, they went and checked and they found cancer and everything, and so we all started praying, and so they went back for a checkup, and for some reason it was gone? Has that ever happened? You know that's happened. And somebody says, I can't explain that. Of course you can't explain it. Anything too difficult, God can do anything he wants to do. There's nothing he can't do if he chooses to do it, because he's God. And so, anything too difficult... And look, I love this part because it says, Sarah denied it, however. You can almost hear her, and she does. She says, through the tent, I didn't laugh. She said, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, but, but you did laugh. Have you ever said to God, I, I, I don't think I did that. And God says, yes, you did. And you go, well, okay, I did. You know, right? I mean, so she laughs and says, I didn't laugh. And he's going, yeah, you did. Yes, you did. Wow. So this, this is amazing. We, we are so weak. When God says, I can do this, and we go, oh, I'm not really. I mean, uh, maybe, maybe he might. I don't know. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 4 that Abraham, Abraham believed that whatever God promised, he was able to do. Same for us. He's never going to leave us. He promises. He's going to provide every need we got. He's going to take care of us. He's our provider. He's our protector. He's our strength. He's our shield. Uh, he loves us with an everlasting love. I mean, think about it. So he's going to return in a year. You'll have a son, which will be fulfilled in chapter 21. And nothing, nothing is too hard for God. Nothing. Now, we're going to go a little faster, but you've got to see this because here's the failure. And this is that song, whoops, I did it again, because here's what we're going to see. What's the failure? And I've got it here that Abraham falls the same as last time. And, and sometimes you look at things like this and you think, hey, Abraham, what is, what is wrong with you? And what I want you to do is, I'm, we're skipping over, we're not going to look at the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. That has nothing to do really with Abraham except his nephew Lot, and we're just not going to spend the time on that because if you did every story through the entire lives of these people, it would take us a whole year or more to do it. So we're just got this semester. So look what happens after all of this about with Lot and all of those things and, and destroying Sodom and Gomorrah and all those things. It then says in chapter 20, Now Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of Negev and settled between Quedish and Sur and he sojourned in, in Gerah. So he, it, we're going to see that Abraham fails. Now how, let me ask you a question. How has Abraham failed before? What has he done that messed up? What did he do? He did what? Okay, he made a baby with Hagar, but okay, but, but that's not what I'm even talking about. What did he do? He went down to Egypt and said what? Sarah's his what? Sister. See, first of all, he went to Egypt and lied about Sarah, and second, he took Hagar for a wife. He wasn't trusting God, and guess what? Now he's going to Gerar, and guess what he's going to do? He's going to lie about Sarah again, and we would say, Abraham... Good gracious. And then what we turn to ourselves and say, how many times do we do the same sin over and over? Anybody in here do the same sin over and over? Tell the truth. Because now you're lying over and over, right? I mean, <laughs> so we're going to see the same thing. And this is the failure. So look at verse 20. Now, Abraham journeyed from the south toward the Negev, and he went basically to, to Gira. By the way, I, it's, it's, it's hard to see. 
But let me see if I can get this. He's been living right here, and he's going to go to right there. So he's been living up here, and he's going to go to right there. It's not, he's not going down to Egypt, but he's going to this place called Gira, okay? And he's there. And everything looks like there, there's a king there. They're, they're what they had, they had city-states in those days. You had a big city. There was the king of the city. And he ruled the city, and he was called the king. And so this guy is, is the king there. His name is Abimelech. Abiah, Abimelech, Melech means king. Abba has an idea of, I'm, I'm the king, I'm the big king, whatever, you know. And so Abraham, look, what's what happened? Look at verse 2. Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she's my sister. You want to look at him and say, what did Abraham say about Sarah? Uh, she's my sister, not his wife. And so what happens? We don't even get through the, through the verse. Abraham said to Sarah, his, his wife, she's my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerah, sent and took Sarah. Now, how old is she? She's 89 years old and about to be 90. And so, so how, you, think she, she, you think she looks pretty good? I mean, she's not some crippled old woman like this. I mean, she must look pretty good because he says, I'll take your sister. Yeah. That's his plan. That's his plan. So what did Abimelech do? He, he took the sister. Now, uh, Abimelech planned that she would be one of his wives. It was common for a king to have many wives and realize Sarah's 90 years old, but she's still beautiful. And what has he done? He's jeopardized the coming seed because what's supposed to happen? It's supposed to be Abraham and Sarah, but guess what? Here's Abimelech, and now Sarah's actually about to be married to him. She's going to be one of his wives. We'd say, Abraham, wait, what are you doing? What, what are you doing, Abraham? This is the one. This is the one that Isaac's going to come. You have blown it again. And we could say the same thing to us. How many times do we Blow it and watch what God does. But God, verse 3, came to Abimelech in a dream at night and he said to him, Behold, you're a dead man. You're a dead man. Why? Because the woman whom you've taken, she, she's married. Now, if you were Abimelech, what would you say? Don't read anymore. What would you say if God came to you and said, You're dead because you, you took a woman that's already married? What would you say? No, I'd say, I didn't know she was married. He told me she was her sister. He said, that, he said That's his sister. I, how would I know she's... How would I know? Look what he says. Now, Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a nation even though it's blameless? Did he not say to me, she's my sister? And he and herself said, he's my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this? He said, I didn't do this on... I didn't, I didn't know. How would I know? And then God said to him in a dream, yeah, I know. I know your integrity of your heart that you've done this. That's why I kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. They hadn't done anything yet. <laughs> Basically, that's what he did. God protected the whole thing. God protected the whole thing. Now watch. This is, and this is what amazes me. He said, Therefore, restore the man, for he's a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, and all you and all who are yours. If you don't give her back to him... You're going to die. What would you do? I don't need her. i got enough wives. That's what he'd say. Let me tell you, why is it so important that Sarah gets back with Abraham? That's the promise. Listen, if this stops, guess what? No Messiah, no Savior. We all did. See, we look at things and we go, so what if that would have happened? Then there wouldn't be any Messiah. 
it wouldn't be the Savior. Satan this is the plan. Satan always tries to stop it from the very beginning of creation to the fall of Adam and Eve. He tried to stop it. He tried to stop it here. He's going to try to stop it later on. He's going to try to uh, stop it when they put the Jewish people and try to kill all the boy babies when they're in Egypt. And then there won't be any left. He tried to do the same thing when Haman wanted to kill all the Jewish people. Tried to do the same thing when Jesus was born. And Herod wanted to kill all the boy babies two years old and under. I mean, listen, the plan is to somehow stop the Messiah. That's the plan of Satan. It's too late. Too late. Now watch, because I want you to see this is, this is fear. Look, so Abimelech rose up early in the morning, called his servants, told all these things, and everybody was afraid. They're afraid. Fear of the Lord, all respect. Listen, there's a fear of the Lord. The Bible talks about God-fearing people. The Bible talks about fearing the Lord. Now when we talk about fearing the Lord, we're not talking about afraid that he's going to kill us every time we turn around. Fear of the Lord means the honor and respect of who he is and what he's done. He loves us with an unconditional, everlasting love, but... Don't go around calling him the big man upstairs. Because that's not who he is. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords and the creator of everything. And he holds your life in his hands. That's what he does. And so the, all of the fear of the Lord is awe and respect. And so watch what happens in verse 10. Abimelech came to Abraham and said, what? What have you encountered? What, what have you done? In fact, verse 9, Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? How have I sinned against you that you brought this on me and my kingdom? You've done to me things that ought not be done. And Abimelech said, Abraham, what have you encountered that you have done this thing? He raises three questions. Look at the questions. What have you done? What did I do? And what could have caused this? Now, Abimelech is getting on to Abraham. Who's supposed to be the godly one? And who's acting godly here? Abimelech. See? So watch how Abraham explains it. And I like Abraham's three answers. Look at verse 11. Abraham said, Because I thought, surely there's no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. I was a what? I was afraid. And then he says, And besides, she's actually my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. He's telling a partial truth, but you know what? Partial truths are always what? Partially true in their lives. They really are. I mean, you can, you can, it's just like Satan said, You know, the day you eat that fruit, you'll become like what? God. Like God. Knowing right and wrong. Does God know right and wrong? Did they know right and wrong? Did they think they would just know right and wrong or they think they'd be God? They thought they'd be God. Partial truth. And then the last one, this was the plan from the beginning. Look what he says. Um, and it came about that when God caused me to wander from my father's house, then I said to her, this is the kindness which you'll show to me everywhere we go. Say of me, he's my brother. So I want you to think about those three things, okay? Fear, partial truth, and the plan. Let's talk about fear for a minute. You know what fear is? What? Oh, what? Y'all didn't get that? What, one more? That's the three questions. Oh, the three questions. What have you done? What did I do? And what caused this? Okay, that's okay. Yeah, they always stop me if I go too fast. Okay? Because, you know, I'm usually slow on everything. So anyway, oh, here's the questions. What have I done? What, what, what have you done? What did I do? And, and he says, I was afraid. And actually, it's sort of true because she is my half-sister. And this was my plan from the beginning. So let's talk about those three things for a second. Fear. Fear is not trusting God. Fear is when we say, I don't know. God told me that this is going to happen, but I'm afraid, so I'm going to let this happen. We can't be afraid. We've got to cast all our cares upon Him. We've got to trust God. The second thing is, is the partial truth. 
It says he didn't tell. He said, she's my sister, which is partially, I mean, it's true, but that, that's not the whole thing. Uh, it's like your boss tells you to get in touch with the person, call this person now, and you don't go call him, and then the boss comes in and says, did you call that person? And you said, I just wasn't able to get him. You're lying. Tell him, you know, I mean, that happens a lot. We, we, we lie, we give partial truths. And we've got to be real careful when we do that. Because we try to rationalize our sin and we say things like, well, everybody else does it. And that's just kind of the way I am. And this is the way things are. And then the third thing, it was the plan from the beginning. And sometimes we plan from the beginning that we're going to do something wrong. It's called presumptuous sins. Presumptuous, there's two kinds of sins that you'll find in the Scripture. There's a sin that the Bible sometimes calls couldn't help it. You're just going along and then something happens and you go, oh, man, I blew it. But then a presumptuous sin is you said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it before I ever do it. You plan it. That's why David wrote in Psalms, keep me from presumptuous sins. So this was the plan from the beginning. Everywhere we go, you say, I'm your brother. That's what he told her. That's what he says right there. Yes? The first time he did this, famine. Mm -hmm. Why did he leave this time? He didn't say. What, what does it say? It says, Now Abraham journeyed from there toward the south to the land of the Negev, the south, and settled between Kadesh and Shur, and he journeyed to Gerah. It doesn't say why. Where's the best place to stay, most likely? Either Hebron, by the Oaks of Mamre, or at Bethel, house of God. That's probably the best place to stay, because he built altars there. But now he's gone down south, and he doesn't tell us why. Doesn't tell us why at all. So we've got to be real careful. Now watch how this ends. Look at verse 15. Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Settle wherever you please. And he actually gave money to Sarah to show, to vindicate her, to show that there was nothing happened, that she was still pure, that nothing, nothing went wrong. And so, but look at what he said. Behold, my land is before you. Settle wherever you please. That's a nice way of laying, of saying, you can leave now. He didn't want Abraham around. Now, here's Abraham, the great patriarch, and we got a pagan king basically saying, get out of my sight. Wow. How many times do we mess up? Hey, let me ask you this. How many, are we glad that God doesn't say to us when we sin, get out of my sight? What does he say? I love you with an unchanging, unconditional love. That's what he says. No, the way it's written, I mean, he says, I mean, the way it looks like it, he says, Behold, my land's before you, settle wherever you please. He's basically saying, this is my land, you settle wherever you please, but in a nice way, like, don't come here. Yeah, don't come to my house. Don't come to me. And so Sarah said, Behold, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. That's your vindication. And then look what happened. Abraham prayed to God and healed Abimelech and his wife because so that they could bear children for for some strange thing, God had closed up all the women in Abimelech's household while all this was going on. Wow. Now, we've we got to quit. we got just a few more minutes. We've got to see the birth, okay? We've got to see this because this is good. This is the birth of Isaac, and that's uh, all the way. Well, you know where we are. Over to the end, the last part, the birth of Isaac. And uh, God promises the son. And look, look where we are. It says, 
Then the Lord, verse 21, chapter 21, I'm sorry. Then the Lord took note of Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, he's a hundred, and at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. This is the birth of Isaac. And by the way, Abraham is 90, and she's, I mean, excuse me, Abraham is a hundred, and she is 90. They're past the age, and yet God does a miracle. Listen, God is not even dependent on whether we're faithful to carry out His plans. We don't. If we're even unfaithful, He's still going to do what He's going to do because He's God. Think about that. It's sort of like when Joseph said, "You meant it for evil, but God made it what? He made it for good." And so, look what happened. And so that Sarah conceived the born son to Abraham in his old age. In verse 3, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Isaac. And what does Isaac mean? He called him. Isaac means laughter because both Abraham and Sarah had laughed. I remember one time I was reading and I was thinking and I thought, yeah, that Sarah, as soon as, because I remember the story of the tent and I said, yeah, Sarah's back there laughing. And then I forgot that Abraham also laughed. They both laughed. They laughed when God told them what was coming. And let me ask you something. If you were Abraham, what if God had told Abraham in the beginning he'd have to wait 25 years? What would you say to that? I ain't waiting 25 years. 25 years? Good gracious, I'll be 100. Aren't you glad God doesn't tell you what he's going to do? Listen, if you, we've all said things like, oh, I wish I knew. No, listen, you don't want to know. Uh, let, let me ask you something. What if you get the flu on Friday? Do you want to know right now you're fixing to get the flu? I mean, you can know, just let it come. The bottom line is let events come as they come. God doesn't reveal the future to us except in certain things like the end-time events and things that he's going to do and the promises, those kind of things. But for each individual life, I, I don't want, do you want to know the future? I don't want to know the future. I want to know every day. I mean, I already know the big future. I know he's going to come get us. We're going to be up there. We're coming back. Going to be a kingdom. I know that kind of stuff. But I don't want to know. I don't want to know. And so look at verse 6 and 7. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh at me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old Age. And I love verse 8, and the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on that day that Isaac was weaned. I mean, this is the greatest day. And let me just tell you, we ought to be jumping up and down and cheering because look what's happened. We've gone from Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. There he is. Now, we're calling him the quiet man, and we'll talk more about him as we go through it. So, what does his name mean? Laughter. So let me give you some quick applications and we'll go over the test. But here's some quick applications. Whoops. Sarah's response. Laughter. Joy. Okay. Application number one. Let's deal with our failure. Now, I want you to think about this. I mean, who's failed a bunch? Abraham. Abraham's failed a bunch. But look at this. Failure's never final. Failure is never final. Listen, I know people who failed and said, I'm a failure. You're not a failure. You just failed. There's a difference between being a failure and failing. We mess up, but that doesn't mean it's not final. And realize there's reasons for failure, fear and rationalization and all kind of things that come into our lives. Be careful. Let's deal with our failure. How do we deal with failure? Confess it and what? Forsake it. That's what the Bible says. Okay, here's the second one. Let's trust God to fulfill His promises. Listen, He can't lie, and He's all-powerful, and don't try to do something different than God promises. 
I mean, this is what happened to them. Trust him. Now, Abraham, if they way back here, if they'd have trusted God, they would have said, no, we can't do this with, with Hagar because that's not the plan. And when Sarah got put up over here, he, could, you know, he, he said, whoa, I'm, I'm blowing the plan. We've got to trust God that his plan is what's best. And as we go through life, we have to trust him. He always keeps his promises. I love it when the fact that, uh, I mean, I just think of all the promises. I've, I'm, I'm working on a little study that I'm going to do maybe in Grow Group, and I'm calling it God's Promises. And I, I got about 11 or 12 of them that maybe you hadn't thought about. And we're going to look at them and look at this, and this is what God has promised every one of us. And we'll look at them. It may be a couple of, maybe a month before we get to it, but we'll see that. The third one is this. Let's understand that God can do anything. He can do anything. Nothing's impossible with God. So a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman can have the child, and she can nurse the child at 90, and everything is just exactly what God wants, and he can make everything come to pass. If he can speak and create the whole world, then he can do anything. Now let me ask you something. Let me, let me say it this way. Can God do anything? Anything. No, he can't. He can't lie. He can't sin. He can't go against any promise. In other words, if God says, I give you eternal life, he can't go back and take it away. He can't say, I'm God, I can take it away. No, you can't because you violated your character, then you're not God. So, no, God can't, can't. When we always say God can do anything, what we mean is he can do anything based on his character and his promises. And because he's all powerful. How about this one? Let's understand that God changes our names. You know what your name was? You were son of the devil. Now you're who? Son of God. That's who you are. That's, he changed your name. He changed your name to saint. He changed your name to holy one. He changed your name to believer. That's who you are. He's made a change. He's changed your name to a new creation. You're not the same person you were. And he can call you that. You know, there are a lot of people that, that uh, especially in, because uh, we have a lot of contact with, for some reason I have a lot of contact with Kenyans, that they, they go to our website. Probably 15 Kenyan churches have written us, using our, wanting to use the material, wanting to use the website, all that kind of stuff. And what we find is a lot of times when they put their faith in Christ, they change their name to a biblical name. Like their name might have been, a, uh, a Swahili type name but then, then they start going by David because they say I, I, I have a new name too and I mean they still keep their old name but they got their new names and, uh, and we went from dead in Christ I mean dead, dead in sin to alive in Christ new creation wow last but not least Let's, let's no one obey the Word of God. It's so easy to go wrong. Remember this, God's blessings do not come by human effort. When Sarah and Hagar and Abraham got together to do their plan, they were trying to make God's blessings come through a human way. And it's not, it doesn't work. You've got to do it God's way. I talked to a person just recently. I'm, I'm going to tell you this. And, and they said, I'm going to do this. And I said, that's not biblical. You know that's wrong. Yes, but I'm still going to do it. I said, you, you, it won't work. I mean, you can do this, but it's, it's not biblical. It's not right. It's wrong. 
I said, do you admit that it's wrong? And the person said, yeah, but I'm still going to do it. By the way, that happens. 